in the name of Jesus. And I'd like our audience to please, let's just celebrate our online worshippers as they listen to us. We celebrate you. We recognize that you are there. The same power that is available here will reach out to you in Jesus' name. Let's have a louder amen. Second Corinthians chapter 9, we'll read from verse 6 to 11. This is the text for the word this morning. And this morning, I'll ask us to read together as one big family. Second Corinthians chapter 9 from verse 6. Are we ready? Second Corinthians is in the New Testament in case you are looking for it in the Old. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 9. Alright, let's read together. And this is the reading of the word of the Lord. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 7. So let each one give as he proposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Next verse. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Verse, verse as it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Next verse. Now may he who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food also supply multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Next verse. While you are enriched in everything for all liberty, which causeth thanksgiving through us to God. Praise the name of the Lord. All right, with our eyes closed, Lord in heaven, we thank you because we have come unto the gathering of thy saints and unto thee shall the gathering of thy people be. Lord, we ask this morning that you circumcise our hearts that we may be able to comprehend the mysteries of the kingdom of God, which only the Holy Spirit will make revealed to us in the name of Jesus. And I submit myself and I hide myself under the cross of the Lord and present myself as a pen in the hand of the ready writer. Use the lips, O Lord, in which you have presented this morning, that it may speak words of encouragement to the people in the name of Jesus. And we declare at the end of all this, the harvest, the flow and the move of harvest shall be the portion of thy people in the name of Jesus. Thank you, sweet Holy Spirit, for in Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Please shake hands with one or two people before you have your seats. God bless you in his presence. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, last week we started the message, the kingdom principles for what? For prosperity. Kingdom principles for what? Kingdom principles for prosperity. And for the sake of those who are not around and also for those who are around, we, we just use the first five minutes or thereabouts, recap what we did so that we'll be right on page where we stopped and where we expected to kick up from. Amen. 
Kingdom principles for prosperity. First, we started last week by identifying that when Jesus spoke in Mark chapter 4, verse 11, multimedia help us, he iterated one word. Jesus speaking to his disciples after he had given a parable said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Now Jesus was practically speaking to every one of us seated down here, saying that unto us it has been given to understand the mysteries of which kingdom? The kingdom of God. But look at what he says next. He says, but to those who are aware, let me have a better response. For those who are aware, so outside where? Outside the kingdom of God, to them it is all in what? Parables. For unto us it is given to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to anyone that is outside this kingdom, it will come to them only as parables. Verse 12 then went ahead and said, In seeing that they may not see, so no matter what you do, they cannot see the way you see. It said, in hearing, they cannot understand. The King James Version said, they cannot perceive it. Because it is not about the wisdom of man. It says, let they should turn and their sins be forgiven. So, you are here as a privileged individual to understand kingdom principles and the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Celebrate yourself because it is God that has given to us. To us and it could only have been God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, having understood that there are two kingdoms particularly, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. So what we are doing here is related to God's kingdom. So God expects us to do all things because Jesus speaking, every time he mentions the word, he always uses the word, the kingdom of God. Relating that God deals with us, God deals with things as a kingdom. And in every kingdom, we said there are four levels or four things that guarantees the strength of the kingdom. Does anybody remember? We said number one was what? The wealth of that kingdom. So the richer the kingdom is, the richer you can reach. And that is why kingdoms like the LGBTs gather a lot of money and they can reach out more. So just imagine we have enough resources, we'll reach out to more lost souls than we have ever done. We also said one of the things that we look out for is also the army, the military. So we are all armies and soldiers for Christ. The territory they have conquered and also the number of people that make up that kingdom. Amen. Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 7, the scripture then says, for having understood that these things are mysteries that God have ordained or God is about to reveal to us, 2 Corinthians then says, chapter 2 verse 7, 1 Corinthians, pardon me, chapter 2 verse 7 says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. And this wisdom was hidden by God from the very beginning. First Corinthians 2 verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God which was made, which was ordained before the ages to come. Verse 9 then says, what is it about this mystery? So that when you understand this mystery, you will get to the point, if you don't understand these mysteries, what happens is that you, eyes itself, the people of the kingdom of the world are yet to see. Likewise we, Neither has it entered into our hearts what the Lord has prepared for those who love him. 
Verse 10 now went ahead and says, But God has revealed these mysteries to us through who? Through the help of the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit searches the things, even the deep things of the secret of God. Verse 12, Now we have received not the spirits of the world, but we have received the spirit of the kingdom. So have that in mind. That whatsoever we're speaking or saying here is kingdom matters. So no matter how you try to interpret it to the people of the world, they cannot understand it. Verse 12, which is where I like, I think verse 14, or yes, verse 14. It says, for the natural man cannot comprehend. The natural man cannot comprehend because these things are spiritually discerned. And may the Lord give us that discernment in the name of Jesus. Having understood that, we decided to look at four basic principles according to the scriptures. The first, we said we're going to look at the covenant of offering, the principles of tithing. Then we're also looking at the principles of what? Sacrifice and vow, which is what we are dealing with today. And the last one is going to be the principle of what? the first fruit. So last week we dealt with offering and tithing. And we were able to understand that offering is not about giving God what you have preeminent, pre, predetermined to. And we defined offering, we said we defined offering as what? As an act of what? Of giving. Is an act of what? Of worship, pardon me. Reflecting the state of our thankful heart. So when we bring our offering to God, it's reflecting our thankfulness that we have per time. So it is an act of worship. So we don't give God because God has a lack. We give God because it is an act of worship. So when you bring your offering, you are in order words saying, Lord, I know I shouldn't have been where I am. Lord, I know it is not by my power, nor by my might. So, Lord, I am worshipping with you with what you have given me. Do we remember that? And we went ahead and to understand when, when Moses was giving what he had to give. The Bible says, and he gave thanks before he gave his offering. And he said to the Lord, for we are giving back unto you that which you have given us. Remember the scripture says, for it is God that giveth us giveth us power to do what? To make wealth. If not God, you couldn't have been where you are if it had never been God. So we are only giving back to him as an act of thanksgiving. Praise the name of the Lord. And secondly, we spoke about Titan. We got to understand that Titan itself is not or was not an Old Testament thing. It was something that was spiritually impressed in the heart of the patriarch, which was Abraham. And we define Titan as a spiritual covenant of the kingdom of God that guarantees our future prosperity. Praise the Lord. And so in that, we also looked at the man called Melchizedek. Do we remember that? So when Abraham took his first tithe, the first tent ever recorded in scripture, the Bible says after he had won the battle, that four kingdoms, he won the battle against four kingdoms, and he brought the, the, the proceeds of it, and he decided to pay a tent to a man called Melchizedek. The scripture defined the man Melchizedek as the priest or the high priest, and he was also the king of Salem. And as we read on, we discovered that there was nobody on earth that held those two positions at the same time. He was a priest, he was also what? 
a king. And as we went on, we discovered that Melchizedek never had a genealogical history. So he was a king that lived forever. And as we went on, we discovered that he had a resemblance with who? With Jesus the Christ. Jesus didn't have a, a biological father. Melchizedek did not have one either. Jesus was a king. Melchizedek was a what? A king. Jesus was a high priest. Melchizedek was also a what? A high priest. Jesus lives forever. Melchizedek also does what? Lives forever. Jesus had the power to receive tithe just like Melchizedek did. So we got to understand that as Abraham gave the tent to God, to Melchizedek, God in the next chapter decided to covenant the promise he made with him earlier. So because he touched the heart of God and so because God wanted the blessing to reach everyone, he decided to make it a law. So in the Old Testament, he said, for you to assess Abrahamic blessing, you must give like, Abra like Abraham did. So he made it a what? A law. Originally, it wasn't a law. It was a what? A covenant. Galatians 3 verse 24. Multimedia, please bring that up. And as we went on, we discovered that at some point when we went to Hebrews 7, we discovered that God now decided that the people shouldn't pay the tithes because they, are, they were charged to do it. He wanted it to come out of our heart just like Abraham did. That is why Galatians 3 verse 24 said, Therefore, the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. So originally, God didn't want it to be a law. The law was just guiding you to do it so that when you get to understand why you do it, you now do it not based on law, but based on the understanding. Amen. So it is as simple as saying, it's as simple when you understand the principles of the law, God originally did not want the law. That's why he said, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. So, verse 25, then went ahead and said, but after the faith has come, which means now that you know why you do what you do, he says, we no longer are under the word, the tutor. So, we got to understand, we don't pay tight. Even in this kingdom, you don't pay it because Pastor Femi Paul said, pay tight. We pay it because we have understood why we do it. So we are not compelled. We are doing it because of love, just like Abraham did it. Did anybody tell Abraham to pay the tent? No. So we're able to bring a picture how Abraham was paying the tent, how the Levites became a representative of the priest. So when Jesus came, the priest the priesthood of the Levites was taken away. So Jesus took the position of the high priest of God, replicating just the way Melchizedek was. So Abraham paid his tithe to Melchizedek. You are paid to the new priest that governs the world, which is who? Jesus the Christ. So we're able, praise the Lord. So we're able to paint a picture that the moment you come here standing, you don't pay the tithe to Grace Assembly. Get it off your head. You don't pay to, uh, to grace assembly. The scripture says, for God has ordained men to become ministers of his resources. So all the men of God do is to administer the way God wants it to be done. So who do you pay your tithe to? Who do you pay your tithe to? Jesus Christ, the priest of the most high God. Let's celebrate God in the beauty of his holiness. And I so love the... The, the example the senior pastor gave afterwards, which he said, if you go to the bank and then you pay your tithe to 
you pay money, your deposit money to a teller. And a few days down the line, you see that the teller has squandered your money and is driving big cars and wearing nice shoes and wearing... Does that, guarantee, does that mean that your money is gone? Does that mean your money is gone? So, do you need to go to meet the teller to collect back your money? Who did you pay the money to? There's a kingdom called a bank. So you paid it to him and the rewarder of that kingdom will reward you irrespective of what they do. So the analogy is when you bring your giving to God's kingdom, forget about what any other man of God does. He's just a teller in the hand of God. Your money is safe, your money is secured and the blessing that comes with it will never ever elude you. Celebrate God that way you should do. Amen. And so we established that Titan is not an Old Testament thing. It was a spiritual covenant between Abraham and God. And so this morning we're going to look at the last two, which is sacrifice and vow. Then we'll look at first fruits. The Lord will help us in Jesus' name. First Samuel chapter 1 verse 11. We're going to start with that. First Samuel chapter 1 verse 11. Now I need you to write this down. A sacrifice or a vow places a demand or a responsibility on God. Let's rephrase it. A sacrifice or a vow is an act of prayer that places a demand or a responsibility on God. Trust me, you won't understand until we've gone through it. Amen. So we said a sacrifice. What did you write down? Anybody? A sacrifice is an act of prayer. Is an act of prayer. Remember we said offering is an act of what? Worship. So sacrifice or vow is an act of what? Prayer. And when you do that one, it places a demand or a responsibility on God. You are going to see how it works. Every call for kingdom resources doesn't is not intended to take money away from you. Every call for kingdom resources is not necessitated in taking money away from you. It is only an open opportunity for you to sow a seed. I remember back then when the senior pastor was raising funds for this keyboard. Have you ever noticed something about God? If God wants to do something and you refuse to be a part of it, haven't you noticed that God still does what God wants to do? You've not noticed. So when God says, I want to do something, even if it doesn't look as if we have enough, somehow, somehow, it may take a while, but God will always do what God wants to what, what God wants to do. And I remember back then vividly, the senior pastor said he wanted this organ because he saw it somewhere. And when people were worshipping God, it made it better when you're worshipping God. So he wasn't buying it for aesthetics. Remember, when God said to so Pharaoh, he said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Why did he tell them to let his people go? So that they can, so that they can go to Canaan? No. He said so that they may hold a holy convocation before me. Holy convocation means that they may worship me in the fullness of who I am. So God is demanding something that he may glorify himself. You've forgotten why you are created in the first place. In Isaiah, the Bible says, for he had made you for his pleasure. So you are just a toy to praise him. You are just a tool to give praise to him. It is not about you. 
So he says he had made us for his own pleasure. Do you know what it means to have pleasure? So, so, so we, if you create something or you bring this flower, if it gives you joy, that's what God is saying. He says, I've made you like this flower because the flower gives me joy. If he's supposed to be a house, so God can make you a house because he gives him joy. But he has made us humans that we may hold a holy convocation. So if God says, I want a keyboard to give me praise, even if you don't give, check it out. God will always raise money for himself. So, but it is only for our own good that we become part of everything the resources of the Lord is doing. Praise the name of the Lord. Now, every vow places a demand on God. First Samuel chapter 1 verse 11. We're going to start with this very good example. A woman called Anna had been praying all her life. And her prayer was simple. Lord, give me a child. Just like we've been praying for one thing or the other in our lives. There are demands in our lives that we need to meet. It may be a job. It may be an increment. Whatever it is. And so she was praying, Lord, Give me a what? A child. First Samuel chapter 1. And for all the years she's been praying, the Bible says, and she had been going to this place called Shiloh, where the presence of the Lord was. I say it and I submit to you this morning, sometimes where prayer cannot lift God, your vow and worship will do more than you have prayed. Where God will not, when God will not stand up in the place of your prayer, vow and sacrifice will lift God. We're going to see it now. And the Bible says, and then she made a vow and she said, O Lord of hosts. So you are most likely allowed to make vow when you are in the place of trouble. If you've prayed and God have not answered, try God in the place of vow. These days we call it sacrificial giving. There are vows that will come because God demands the resources. There are vows will come because you will have to petition God in the place of prayer. If you prayed and it had not worked, try making a sacrifice that cost you something. Some years back, I went into a business, a casual business with a friend. We grew up together, three of us. So there was a business proposal that shouldn't take a while. And we raised money together. And then the money was not enough. So we needed about a million naira to complete it. And so we had to quickly get a loan because time was against us. And one of them was a banker. So he drafted the loan and we collected it in my name. And when we got the loan, we did the business we were supposed to do. The profit was good. We shared the profit as it's supposed to be. So we returned the millionaire to this banker. I said, okay, pay it in. Do the documentation like you did and let us close the deal. And then, so it is, he brought us receipts or proof that he had done it. And two years down the line, I had a letter from the same bank saying, I am owing to a tune of a million plus. Remember, if you owe the bank, interest will accrue. So it wasn't a millionaire again. So the interest accrued budget, budget. And so the money I had to pay was even more than what I had to pay earlier. And so it came to me as a shock. Really, it, the first thing that came to my mind was, this should be a mistake. So we called a friend and told him, look, your bank is making a mistake. The money we paid two years ago, can you imagine? It means you people don't have record. You are still coming for it. He said, of course, it should be a mistake. So he went back. Only God knows what he did. And then the other guy said to me, I'm not so sure this is a mistake. Let's call him again. So we called him again. He was playing pranks and playing pranks. And after a while, he told us, look, I didn't pay the money. I've squandered the money and there's nothing we can do about it. 
And so the company kept calling. There's this debt recovery. If they come at you, trust me, you won't want them to come knocking the second time. So they gave us a time frame where we had to pay. And so the time was elapsing. And you know, when they come at you, they come at you with all that they have. And so I kept praying to God that this shouldn't be my portion. And you know, there's a time, there's a place you get to in the place of prayer. You even lack what to say. Your heart cannot even say what your mind, your lips can't say what your mind really wants to say. I got to that point and I tried praying all I could and nothing was working. In fact, there was no reason why that debt should be paid by anybody. It was looking as if I was going to pay the debt by myself. But I remember at some point I stood at my window and I was praying and then I couldn't mutter a word. And I remembered one of the principles of the kingdom which I was taught, which was about vow, which Anna did. Nothing more than that. The heart was heavy. When your heart is so heavy, you need to make a vow or commit yourself to a sacrifice that God will lift every banner of the enemy upon your life. And I said to God, if you will deliver me from this really i didn't know how god was going to do it but i said if god would deliver me from it i will not see it rather than pay the millionaire to the bank i will see it as an earning and pay a tenth out of it and i made that vow and trust me within the next one hour somebody called and said the man that is owing you is going to call you if he calls you don't pick and if he keeps calling you, don't pick until we tell you to pick. And within 30 minutes, this young man that refused to pay kept calling. And he kept calling and calling and calling. If you've never seen a hundred missed call, I almost saw it that day. I did not pick his call until the evening. I don't know which calls were made to him. But he went up running around to pay the money. And he said to me that he's going to meet me the following day. We went all the way to the debt recovery company. He signed post post data check and he paid every cover out of it so when you see when we define when we define vow and sacrifice and as as an act of prayer Anna understood it the Bible says and it came to a point that Anna had to make a vow and she said if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maid servant and remember me and forget your maid and forget not your maid servant but will give your maid servant a male child then I will give you as God all the days of his life a razor not upon his head this is what a vow can do for you and you know the story did she get what she wanted when she made the vow all she did when the vow is sacrificial and it cost you something god has no choice but what you have done had placed a demand on him and he had placed a responsibility on him it's not like offering offering only shows how thankful you are but vow places a demand on god because it's only god that will be ashamed if his word doesn't come to pass so god has to stand up and do only what god can do praise the name of the lord one of the times i learned about vow giving one of the pastors that raised me up at some point he made a he gave a testimony that have ever remained in my head 
And in fact, when I deal with God, that is one of the testimonies I remembered. You know, when the Bible says, bring your tithe and I will devour the canker worms and the caterpillars for your sake. Those things are not really physical. They are the things, have you ever seen somebody that will tell you, I make a million naira every month, yet I have no savings? You've not seen. Have you seen such a way? There's a book called The Storehouse Principle. I'll ask that you please get that read. If God has to bless you, he demands what is called your storehouse. You don't eat everything that God has blessed you with. Remember, we're going to look at that. First Corinthians. He says, for he giveth you seed. He, he that giveth seed to the sower also gives what? Bread. Don't by chance eat the seed that you're supposed to sow. So the storehouse principle teaches us as Christians that we have to be responsible financially because when God wants to raise something out of you, he's going to ask you like a woman, what do you have in your hands? If you don't have any jar of oil, you possibly will just elude yourself of the, of the harvest that is around the corner. So the testimony goes thus. And so his child was sick. And he has been going to the hospital, going to the hospital, and going to the hospital. The sickness kept coming and coming and coming. And he has spent almost all he had. And at some point, the demand was from, from him was that he needed to pay a particular hospital bill. Not that he did not have. But he said to himself, Lord, why should I be a pastor and my child will be going to the hospital all the time? So it wasn't about him this time. It was about the pride for the name of the Lord. And he said to God, they have told me to pay this amount as the next hospital bill. And the money wasn't a small money. So he made a vow before God. And he said, I don't want to take this child to the hospital. Let it be that you will heal this child by yourself. And I will take the same value of money and drop it as an offering before God. So you be God. Act like God. If you hear that, won't it just trigger something in you? Trust me, won't it trigger something? So what he has just done had placed a responsibility on God. Believe me, the story was, the testimony was simple. The child was healed without going to the hospital and the man came, testified, and dropped that same amount as a testimony that of the vow that he had made. This morning, somebody is going to make a vow that will move heaven. I say you will make a vow in the place of prayer that will move heaven for your sake in the name of Jesus. So when God asks for something, it places a responsibility on us. You must make a sacrifice that moves God. Ask yourself, when last did you give God something that you understood that virtue went out of you? You know, when Jesus said virtue went out of you, if there, there are some sacrifices you will make. Even you, you will know that money, you, are, you will be feeling light and empty. Only by yourself. You will feel, if they push you, you will fall because your money has one word, virtue has left you. So, how, when was the last time you gave God that which cost you something? We need to get to that point. And the Lord will help us in Jesus' name. So, a vow, a testimony, a vow or a sacrifice can be done in two ways. It can be a resource or it can be in the place of prayer where you are heavy in your heart or it can be a kingdom demand. When the senior pastor came, we were asking for rent. Anytime a demand is made for the kingdom, 
don't say you are not part of it. Even if your name is not on that list, never you say you will never be part of it. And I want to testify about a family when the rent was being called. And really, people were giving millions in thousands, large sum of money. In case you did not, you were not part of it. That was how they were given millions and large sum of money that virtually went out of some people. And for some good reason, it was the call was made on this altar that if you want to be a part of it, that wasn't to wear you down. It was just an opportunity for you to sow into God's kingdom. And the following Sunday, I was shocked when I was walking down. A family came to me, and they dropped an amount. The amount, if you look at the amount compared to what other people were giving, it was barely going to be like a drop of water in an ocean. But that drop of ocean, water in an ocean is the only sacrifice that God is looking for sometimes. So you are always looking for the millions to give. The example that Jesus gave about the woman and the rich man, he says he allowed, he accepted that one because God searches the heart. He knows what you give. Your one million or two million naira may not even move God. Ecclesiastes called some of them the sacrifice of fools. God knows the sacrifice you give that will cost you. If you see this family, you will know the amount they gave cost them a great deal. It cost them a great deal. And I want to know, I want to believe that God is going to visit that family in the name of Jesus. Let's give you another example of scripture where God has to demand sometimes. 1 Corinthians chapter 17, multimedia help us. 1 Corinthians, 1 Kings, pardon me. 1 Kings chapter 17 from verse 12. 1 Kings chapter 17 from verse 12. We can even start from verse 1. You know, there was a time I told my wife and I told her, I just discovered something in scriptures that God had assigned that we have only two square meals a day, not three. How many of us know that? If God will feed you, he will only feed you with how many square meals? Two square meals. So I told her, henceforth, we are going to do the way God does it in heaven. So if God will give us two square meals, we only eat how many square meals? Two square meals. She said, show me in the scriptures. I said, if I show you, we will eat two square meals. The answer was, show me in the scriptures. She didn't say yes or no. So, the next time you eat three square meals, especially when you're having your lunch, then have it in your mind that God has given you extra and is too faithful for you. I'm going to show you quickly. First Kings chapter 17 verse 1. The Bible says, And the man Elisha went to Ahab, and he proclaimed the word of the Lord. And he said, Ahab, I command that as long as the Lord liveth, verse 1, there shall be no rain for three and a half years. So Elisha proclaimed the word and he says, I stand that there shall be no dew and no rain for three and a half years. Verse 2, then the word of the Lord came to him, Elisha, saying, get away from here and go eastward to the brook Sherit, which flows into Jordan, and it will be that I shall bring food I shall, you shall drink from the brook and I have commanded ravens to do what? To feed you. Next verse, verse 4. Verse 5. So according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brooks which flows into where? Jordan. Next verse, verse 6. Then ravens brought him what? Bread and meat. I can't hear you. Brought him what? What time of the day? 
in the morning, comma, and ravens brought him bread and meat. What time of the day? Then God told him to do what? Drink water, drink water, drink water. Did Raven bring him food in the afternoon? Was there anything called lunch in this matter? So if God will feed you with his hand, how many times will he feed you? Two times. Bread and bread and uh, meat in the morning and what? Bread and meat in what? In the, so the next time you're having lunch, just know it's a privilege from God. God, I thank you for this lunch because if you have fed me directly, it will have been morning and night. But you have given me excess. So the brunch you are eating is excess. Amen. So... Has God not been faithful to you? Celebrate the Lord God in the heavens. So it's a privilege. So when Elisha had made this proclamation, he got to a point that he ate bread in the morning, ate bread in the evening, until God said to him, the waters in the brooks were finishing. So God said to Elisha, I need you to go out of here, for I have commanded a widow to feed you. That is verse 9. That verse 8, the word of the Lord came and said, Leave here, for I have commanded a widow to feed you. Verse 12. The story we know so well. Elisha going into the house of the woman. God said, I've commanded the widow to feed you. If you read the story very well, there was nowhere it was written that God told the woman that Elisha was coming. But God had commanded that he goes to the woman's house. Trust me, if he goes to the woman's house and the woman refused to feed Elisha, Elisha will not be hungry. God will direct Elisha to somebody else. So if God commands or God tells or brings a command, he doesn't really need to tell you he's coming. He will come when you have the list in your bank account. So God will have gone to Elisha. Why didn't God tell Elisha, go to the woman's house when she had plenty? Because your giving is not about, is not just releasing money. It reflects how much you trust on God's word. So God said to Elisha, go, for I've commanded her to give you or to feed you. Now watch what Elisha said. When Elisha went to the woman's house, the woman said, ah, man of God, you're welcome. And the woman says, and Elisha asks, what do you have in the house? And the woman says, as the Lord God lives, which means she's swearing that she's saying the truth. I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil of jar. And see, I'm gathering these things up. Once I make this, this is the last meal for my child and I. So the word of the Lord will always come, not when you have abundance. Because when you have abundance, God can't really test how much you trust him. The demand may come when you are about to pay school fees. But this is what I've learned. When God's word drops to do something, don't bring logic to it. Once you bring logic to it, it will never make sense. A colleague of mine shared a testimony that blew my mind. He had, there was a kingdom resources in his church. And as he sat down there, he was about to pay his house rent. And he says his house rent is about 700,000 naira. All he had at that moment was 500,000 naira. And what they needed to complete the project was about 500,000 naira. And the word of the Lord dropped in his heart expressly. I need that money to complete this project. Does it make sense? Rent have not gotten. So this was just an example of this woman we are reading the scripture. So let's leave Bible passages. These things are happening to people in our lifetime. 
So don't think these were Bible passages. People are living this life. So the Bible, and the young man said, and God said, I need that money to complete my project. He said, God, landlord is coming next month. If Larry Lord comes, money is not complete. It's trouble. But the word was heavy in his heart. And so he had to obey what God said. You know, if the Holy Spirit troubles you, my dear, sometimes you can't sleep. The trouble will be so much. If you ever have a relationship with him, you won't be able to sleep. And so he said, he out of God's word, he obeyed what God wanted him to do. And he dropped the money. The next month, landlord was supposed to come. Landlord did not show up. The following month, landlord was supposed to come. Landlord did not work, did not show up. So he was rushing to gather 700,000 naira. The third month, landlord was supposed to come. Landlord did not work, landlord did not show up. And he was posted to a new department. And at some point, he wasn't doing well. And his manager said to him, you are not doing well in this department. What is the problem? He said, oh God, I'm sorry in this department. I don't even know what is going on. The man said, do you need training? He said, yes. He said, okay, package a training. And they packaged an offshore training for him. His training allowance was not only able to pay his house rent. It was double what he needed for his house rent. The following month, by the time he came back, he was the one that had to call landlord. Landlord, it's six months. You have not collected house rent. So when God wants to come for his resources, he places those resources in our hands for his own use. It's never for our own use in the first place. So as you begin to gather money for school fees, listen to the voice of the Lord. Perhaps he will speak something to you. And when he says it, do not apply logic. Praise the name of the Lord. There are sacrifices people have given that we are living or riding on. Noah was an example. Genesis chapter 8 verse 20 as we wrap up the series on sacrifice. In Genesis chapter 8 verse 20, the Bible says, And Noah gave God, he made a sacrifice that cost him something. The scripture says, And Noah took an altar and he took every clean beast and he offered it as a burnt offering on the altar. Next verse, verse 20. He says, And the Lord did what? smelled a what? The Lord smelled a what? Sweet smelling savor, aroma. When your sacrifice comes as a sweet smelling savor, then the Lord will be placed, the demand will be placed on God. And the Bible says in the next verse, and the Bible, and God says, no, go back to verse 21. Because of that singular sacrifice, God swore by himself and he says, I will never again do what? cost man. So the reason why we are living now till now is because Noah made or gave a sacrifice that cost him something and made God to claim or to make a proclamation on us. So sometimes you know when when you hear people say the westerners are not serving God and yet God is doing what is blessing them. There was a research that was done sometimes. And he said, there can be, there could have been cause, there can be a cause on the land depending on the sacrifice that was made. The sacrifice that usually made before now what had to do with blood. When the Westerners, when their forefathers were busy planting the name of Christ as missionaries and whatsoever, we possibly in our little kingdom were busy offering sacrifices for idols. So, 
it's not so strange that those guys are living life in abundance. There were sacrifices that could have been done on their behalf. So the fact that you are enjoying some things that we don't merit doesn't mean we should continue living life childishly. It may just be because our grandfathers, our fathers have given a vow, a covenant to God that is keeping us on and making it a covenant of blessing upon us, which we all seated down here owe it to our children. There's a sacrifice you will give God today that your children will be beneficiary of it from generations unto all generations. And the Lord will open our eyes to that sacrifice in Jesus' name. I close on that. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 5. We need to be careful on this part. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 1. The Bible says, Walk prudently when you come to the house of the Lord. We have seen people make vows and they have failed to redeem it. That itself is a dangerous thing to do. Walk prudently when you come to the house of the Lord. Draw near to hear rather than to give what? Sacrifice of fools. Verse 5 then says, in verse 5 the Bible says, it is better not to what? To vow than to what? To vow and not do what? And not keep it. Somebody once says, if you are not used to paying or repaying debt, you are likely not to pay your vow when you make it to God. You know that scripture in the Bible, the scripture in the Bible says, he that redeemed his debt had mercy. If somebody owed you before, you asked for the money, he has it but they refuse to pay you. It is wickedness. Because when they were in trouble, they needed that small money to do what? To redeem them. And by the time you ask them, they say, ah, ah, you are calling me by 9 a.m. to ask for money. It's too early. So likely when we have trouble with God and you make a vow, be very careful that you pay back that vow. Sometimes to make the vow may be easy. To repay or to pay the vow may be very difficult, but you just have to make it. Because it is better not to do what? To make a vow rather than to what? To make the vow and not pay it. If you're sitting down here, you've made a vow before now to God, try and set your heart. Do all that is within your power to redeem such a vow. We're not going to go deep into not paying vows. Lest you get what? You get scared. Praise the name of the Lord. So, but the Lord will help us. In the place of vow, in the place of sacrifice, you must do that which costs you something. Lastly, David wanted to make a vow. The Bible says David rose up one day. He wanted to pay he, he made a census of all the people. And the Lord God was angry with him. And he caused plague upon the people. And David wanted to atone God. Remember, when you make a vow, you are making a prayer to place a demand on God. So in his place of trying to make the vow, he wanted to go and get a threshing mill. And the man that owned the threshing mill said, Ah, David, you are king. Since you need this thing to make a vow, don't worry. Take it for what? For free. But because David understood kingdom principles, you can't give God what they gave you for free as a vow. You cannot give God what was given to you for free as a vow. If it doesn't cost you something, there's no sacrifice in it. And so David said to him, if, it, I, was, if I was using it for the people, I would have collected it. Because this is for kingdom matters. And David says, I will not give unto God that which do what? Cost me something. So the next time you want to make a sacrifice, ask yourself a simple question. Does it really cost you anything? Celebrate the Lord God in his kingdom.
Amen. The next and the last one, first fruit. This is going to get interesting. This is a very heavy one to pay, but this will get very interesting. First fruit, you may need to write this down. First fruit is a reflection of your total trust in God. Simple. First fruit is a reflection of the total trust in God. We've done this before, so I'll run through it very quickly. When God called the children of Israel, he said, bring them that they may hold a holy convocation before me. There were three feasts that were very paramount to God. The first one was called the Feast of the Passover, Exodus chapter 12. God said to them, this feast you will hold so that it will remind you that by my power I brought you out of Egypt. You remember just know this there are some things you do or you need to do again to remind you of god's faithfulness so god said do the passover when you do the feast of the passover it will remind you that i delivered you from egypt feast number two leviticus 23 verse 3 it was called the sabbath god says six days in a week you shall walk on the last day which is the seventh day you shall do no what no work on that day you cannot work you cannot sell you cannot go to the market you cannot do anything the third feast that god was interested on deuteronomy 26 verse 1 was called the feast of the first fruit god woke up one day and said for all that is in the world is mine and he says for all that is in the world is mine everything that cometh out of the belly is mine and so god demands the first and I'm going to explain why. One of the patriarchs, the only patriarch of the blessing, Abraham. The Bible says that when God had blessed him with the only child, God wanted to know how much he trusted him. And so he said, bring that only child because the first is mine. It was just a test that what God wanted to do, but it was the start of what was called the first fruit. So in Deuteronomy, God says, for all that is in the belly, and it shall be that when you come to the land, God has given you as inheritance. Next verse, verse 2. Verse 2 then says, And you shall take some of the first of your produce. So God always demands the first. I always say to people, The very first portion of your day is also very important to God. Try, not, try as much as possible to dedicate the very first part of the day to God. Try it. Even if it is this week, take yourself away from social media, the very earliest part. Because that early time is very, very, very precious to God. Now, this is what God now did. In Exodus 34, God commanded the blessings of the first fruit. Now, let's explain why the first fruit. It was the custom that when you plant a seed and the seed germinates, that if you tilt that ground, and you eat what the harvest has come to you. There was no guarantee that when you go back there, the land will still be what? Will still be fertile. The same way God did. The fact that you have the first child doesn't mean if you try the next time that God is going to give you a child. So God was letting the children of Israel know that everything that they have comes from who? From him. So if there was a chance that if you take the first harvest, and you eat the first harvest and there will be no second harvest then god was saying give me that first and i will guarantee the second and i will guarantee the third so that was god what god was doing now watch this very carefully so the children of israel had to trust god enough 
that if they give the first, he will guarantee the second, he will guarantee the what? The third. So when the church says there is something called the first fruit, it is not intended to take away what you have. It is intended to guarantee the rest of the year. Haven't you seen people sacked by February before? Downsizing by February, the job is gone. So, but God is saying, guarantee me the first. I will guarantee every other thing that comes. Now, let's look at what God did himself. We're going to show you how God paid his own or offered his own first fruits. How many of you remember this message? God himself had to offer the first fruit that came to him. How did God do that? Now, these three feasts, the Passover, the first fruit, and the Sabbath, this is how it's run. The Sabbath is always a weak event. The Sabbath, the Passover is always a, a weak event. The Sabbath will happen on a Friday, or which in these days is on a what? On a Sunday. The following day is supposed to be the feast of the first fruit. So whenever they say Sabbath have started, Sabbath is going to last a week. The Friday that gets to it is going to likely be the the, first, the Sabbath that gets, the Friday that gets to it is going to be the Sabbath. The following day was going to be the first fruit. Now what happens is people will go to their farmland, people will go to their flocks and everything that produces. So they will take the first fruit and go all the way to the priest. Now once you harvest the first fruit or whatsoever it is, it was a taboo for somebody to touch the first fruit. Once you harvest it, the first person that will touch it will be what? The priest. Have that in mind. So the Sabbath, immediately after the Sabbath, we are going to have the what? The feast of the first fruit. So when you harvest the first fruit, nobody is allowed to touch the what? The first fruit of God until it gets to what? To the priest. Now having that in mind, this was how God paid his own first fruit. So you see, when God says, I need it, it's not as if he didn't do it. He first did it so that you become part of those who will do what he had commanded. Now, this was how God paid his first fruit. So which is what he has commanded. Now, the Bible made us to understand 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. Now, take this as a first hand. The first fruit, if it's a male child, when you have a child, you take the first child, go to the altar, and present that child as the first fruit. Really, sometimes that's what they do. So, but Jesus, the scripture is saying in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, it says, But now Christ is risen from the dead, and he has become the what? He has become the what? Of those who has fallen. So if Jesus is the first fruit, which means his father has to offer him as a first fruit sacrifice to God. Jesus has become the first fruit of those who has fallen. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 also shows us something. Romans 8 verse 29. He says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to conform to the image of his son, that he might become the word firstborn. So Jesus is the firstborn. Remember, the firstborn qualifies as the what? The first fruit. So if Jesus is the firstborn, what position then are you? Jesus is not the only son of God. 
is the only begotten of God. We are all sons of God. He is only the firstborn out of many. Now, this was what actually happened. When Jesus was about to be crucified, John chapter 18 verse 28, the Bible says on that night, which was on a Thursday night, they came to him by night. They snatched Jesus and they took him to the priest and they laid judgment on Jesus. Now for every time a, a feast is being held, the day before that is always taken as a day of preparation. Now watch what happened. The Bible says, and as Jesus was led to Cephas to the praetorium, and it was early in the morning, but the priests themselves did not do what? Did not enter. Why? Lest they should what? Defile themselves because so that they may do what? eat of the Passover. So that Thursday morning was the day of preparation for what? Passover. The Friday that Jesus died was what? Was Passover. So you could not defile yourself. So the priest did not enter into the Roman palace because they wanted to keep themselves holy. Now look at John chapter 8, 19 verse 14. Watch that carefully. So on Thursday, they did not enter because Friday was the Passover. Now he says in this verse, now it was the preparation day for what? For Passover. And about the sixth hour that Jesus went to the king and said, behold your king. Now this was when Jesus was about to be crucified. Now a day before was the day of preparation. Friday was going to be the Passover. Now let's look at verse 30 of that same verse. Because Jesus could not be crucified on a Sabbath day. They cannot crucify Jesus on that Sabbath day. The following day was what? Passover. So, sorry, we're talking of Friday now. So, Jesus was crucified on that day. So, they had to package Jesus, pass judgment on him. And the Bible says, verse 30 and verse 31. Watch this. So, Jesus received the swag grip and says, it is what? It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the word, the spirit. Verse 31. Therefore, because that day was the day of preparation, the body of Jesus could not remain on the cross to the following day. So it was a day of preparation. Now watch what it says. The body could not remain on which day? On the Sabbath. It was the first time the Sabbath day and then the day, the Sabbath day and the Passover day was falling on what? The same day. So they had to quickly bring down the body of Jesus, take him to the nearest tomb and bury him. Jesus' body could not remain on that throne the following day. Now I want you to show something. I want to show I want you, I want to show you something very quickly. Now in the next chapter, verse 20, chapter 20, verse 1. Because the following day was the day of the feast of the first fruits, which also fell a day earlier was the Sabbath. The following day, which was a Monday, was the feast of the first fruit. So people were going, people were going to the marketplaces to do what? To harvest what they had. Jesus died on a Friday. The following day, they could not go anywhere because it was Sabbath. The day after that was the day of the feast of the first fruit. Now, watch what happened. The Bible says, now, the first day of the week, which was the day the first fruit is being paid, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb very early while it was still dark and saw that the tomb was rolled away. 
next verse. Verse 2 now says, Then she ran to Jesus, then she ran and came to Peter, told the disciples. They came to the tomb, looked for Jesus, they could not find him. Now look at verse 16 and verse 17 carefully. This is what the scripture says. On that day, what they did not understand was that day was the day of the feast of the first fruits. Jesus said to Mary, when Mary saw Jesus, Mary wanted to go and touch Jesus Christ. But Jesus said to her, Mary, do not what? He said, Mary, which means Rabboni. He says, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and he looked at her and he says, do not what? Cling to what? To me. In the New Living Translation, it says, do not touch me. Remember, when somebody raised, when somebody harvests his first fruit, you are not supposed to do what? Supposed to touch it. So Jesus Christ has risen as the first fruit of many brethren. He has risen as the first fruit of God. So that for the first time in God's life, he had a harvest from the ground. Just like you have harvest from the ground. So for the first time, God had a harvest from the ground. So he said to himself, when people have harvest from the ground, they have to take it first and show the high priest. So when Jesus rose on that resurrection day, he rose as the first fruit of God. And so God said to himself, I have to offer Jesus to God as the first fruit of the people who have risen from ground. So that everybody else that comes after it will receive a guaranteed blessings of the life eternal. So it was, now it was very clear when Jesus said to Mary, do not touch me. It's not as if he did not want to embrace Mary, but he saw himself as a what? As the first fruit. So he said to Mary, do not touch me, for I am yet to present myself to the world, to the Father. So for the first time, God said to himself, I will pay the first fruit so that everybody that comes after Jesus will be guaranteedly blessed in this kingdom. So you being the second born, you being the fruit from Jesus Christ, you being the son of God becomes guaranteedly blessed because Jesus was initially offered as the first fruit of the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 20, as we wrap things up, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 says, For now, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and has become the what? The first fruit of those who has fallen. If Jesus is the first, then you are the second. You are the third. And because the first was dedicated to God, everything that comes after it becomes guaranteedly blessed. Amen. So when we say the principles of the first fruit, it is to guarantee everything that comes afterwards. So once we give our first fruit, we become guaranteed that God is going to bless February, that God is going to bless March, that God is going to preserve us in April, that God will keep our job in June, that God will guarantee all the rest of the year. So it is not just about releasing to God. Is a principle that God himself has ordained. Praise the name of the Lord. So that is why the first fruit is only a show of the trust you have in God. If you've never been a part of this, I ask and I pledge and I plead with you, don't miss it for anything. People are blessed because of this. Let me wrap up by telling you how I personally got 
how I got the revelation of the first fruit. Now, originally, I never paid first fruit until it was during my service here. It came like a vow unto God. And then afterwards, I began to read the meaning of it when I saw it in scriptures. And when my eyes were opened, I keyed into it like I've never done before. During the service here, I was posted to a very rural area, one of the villages. And I was told to be a teacher. And so, people were coming with, with other offers. Remember when you are serving, if you have another offer, all you need to do is to bring the offer and then they will sign off, they will release you. But the innocent me did not know that as many people that were getting offer from the town were giving the man in charge some bribe for him to sign those letters. I did not know. So the people that were getting offers and they were signing off. And I got this good offer as well. So I brought the letter to him to sign off. And the man said to me that he will not sign off for the reasons best known to him. So I pleaded as much as I could with him but he refused to sign off on it. And so, it so happened, I decided to fast for three days on this matter. And so, as I was fasting and praying, and something dropped in my heart and said, this is not about fasting. And I made a pledge to God. I said, God, if you will make this man change his heart, because the heart of the king and all that is in is the hand of the Lord. And I said, if you make this man change his heart, the first salary I will have, I've not even earned anything then, I will give it unto you as a vow. Little did I know that what I was doing was a kingdom principle called what? First fruit giving. And so I said, if you will make this man change his heart, then I will give the first that I will have from the moment on until eternity. And so I began to fast and I ended my fast. On the day, on the third day, I got news that the man was looking for me. And then I ran to him and then he said he has been looking for me because he was about to leave town for a very long time. And he asked me if I had the offer. I said no. And so I quickly went, brought the offer and then he signed off on it. Praise the name of the Lord. Now this is another way vow is made. Remember when I made that vow, it places a word, first a responsibility on God, but unknowingly I was only doing kingdom principle and so he signed off remember I said to you sometimes when you make a vow it may be difficult to what to redeem it it was when the salary came and I saw how big it was and I said to myself God maybe we should renegotiate this this offer because there are times when these things come it becomes difficult for you to pay but you need to close your eyes to what you have and open your eyes to what God is about to give you. Amen. So it first came as a covenant, but unknowing to me, it was a kingdom principle. Did I get the job? Yes. The job paid me almost five times what I was about to earn. And it did not end there. Before I finished that service, I got another offer that paid me twice of what I even got as well. So if I had withheld that which I had vowed, Possibly God would have given me another blessing because for every vow, God opens another window for us. And that shall be our portion in the name of Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. So in closing, Abraham made the first first fruit giving when he offered to give his son Isaac unto the Lord. And this morning I charge every one of us, let's not close our hands to giving. 
Because every kingdom resources is an opportunity for God to open and release his blessings upon you. May the Lord bless his word in Jesus' name. So in closing, I want to understand that kingdom principles are in four and let us hold on to that. The first is the offering and as we continue to give our offering, we have this understanding that it's an act of what? Worship reflecting our, our hearts of thanksgiving. When we give our tithe, have this in mind that the tithing is a spiritual covenant in the kingdom that guarantees our, our future prosperity. And if you have to make a vow or a sacrifice that costs you something, understand that it's an act of prayer that's only placing a demand or a responsibility on God. And when you come to give your first fruit, just know it's just a show and a test of your trust that God will deliver unto you what you want for the remaining part of the year. May the Lord bless his word and enrich every one of us in Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Why don't you rise to your feet as we go to the Lord in prayer? At this moment, I want us to close our eyes and just pray for God to give us the grace to understand this kingdom principle, the grace to give in his kingdom, and the grace to yield ourselves for the kingdom works. Just pray in a minute or two as we close the service that the Lord will open our hearts to understand these kingdom principles and apply it in every areas of our lives. And our prayer is as we continue to be a part of this kingdom and a part of this principle, that the Lord will open to us the showers of blessing. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Have you been blessed this morning? Why don't you celebrate the Lord?